Next on Abounding Grace. There is an eagerness in creation, a desire awaiting for God's revelation, an anxious longing. We want to see the deliverance that's promised. You could say that the creation from the original language, you could translate as the creation is on tiptoes waiting for God to deliver it. That if creation could talk, if the earth had a voice, it would cry out wanting to be delivered from the bondage in which it's been subjected by the sin of humanity. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. We'll be joined by Pastor Ed Taylor in just a moment. And today we'll be picking up where we left off in Romans chapter 8. That happens to be verse 19. After the message, visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com for resources to help you learn more of God's abounding grace. Now here's Pastor Ed with part one of Groaning in Hope. Sin has done so much more damage than we realize. The effects of sin on humanity and on creation are far deeper and far greater than you and I really realize. Truly, as we continue to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is, the more that we grow, the more that we know that sin has greatly devastated this earth and the humans on this earth. As we found in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, there is great suffering. But for the believer, we realize that the suffering now is temporary, doesn't follow us into eternity, and doesn't compare to the glory that's going to be revealed in us. And yet, what's the source of all those sufferings? The fears, the anxieties, the pains, the problems, the sorrows, the sadnesses. Where did all that come from but from sin and its effects on our life? Sin has done great, great damage. I asked you to open to Romans chapter 8, but before we get there, flip over to Genesis chapter 3. Because it's in Genesis chapter 3 that we read of the beginning of sin in humanity. And as you're turning to Genesis chapter 3, understand something. We believe that Genesis chapter 3 is a literal account of two very literal people that serve a very literal God who has given the opportunity for a literal salvation to live literally in eternity with Him. We come squarely against those that would say, oh, Genesis is just a story. Oh, it's a great little story. We might be able to learn some things from it. No, it is God's truth. We serve a literal creator. Therefore, we have been created in his image. In Genesis chapter 3, well, it opens up with the serpent being more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. He said to the woman... Has God indeed said? And that is repeated over and over and over again in our lives. You get the word of God and then the enemy will come to you in a variety of different ways and ask you, is that really what God said? I mean, seriously, is that really what he said? And poor Eve. Poor Eve begins to talk to a snake. There was a snake in my garage the other day. I'm like, what's he doing in my garage? So I pulled up a chair and said, hey, what are you doing? No, I didn't do that. 
I talked to the snake with a shovel. Get out of my garage. It's crazy. We didn't have snakes where I lived in California. We got snakes and coyotes and foxes and... Oh, anyway, Eve starts to talk to the snake. The woman says to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it. Now, she should have just stopped. Now, number one, she shouldn't have been talking to some snake, but she should have stopped there because she added to the word of God. It's at this point she says, Nor shall you touch it. God never said that. Lest you die, and the serpent said, verse 4, to the woman, You will not surely die. What a lie from the pit of hell. Always trying to replace the truth with lie, this world. For God knows, verse 5, that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And then verse 6 begins the downfall. The woman sees that the tree was good, the lust of the eyes. She saw it. She saw it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. She saw it was pleasant for the eyes, a tree desirable, the pride of life to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her. And he said, no, woman. That's what he should have said. What are you doing? Adam, he wasn't there either. He took it and ate. And the eyes of both of them, verse 7, were open. They knew that they were naked and sewed fig leaves together. And sin entered the world. We studied that in depth in Romans chapter 5. Sin has been passed on to all humanity because Adam was our representative. He represented us in the garden. And we can't really get heavy on Adam because given the same temptation, we would have done the same thing. That's our tendency. As God condemned the whole human race, there would be those that say, that's not fair. How can that be fair for God to condemn the whole human race from one person? Well, listen, for what God has done through Adam and sin's effects and the condemnation, God was also then to forgive man's sin through one man, Jesus Christ. Was it fair for God to give up his only son for you? It was a sacrifice on his behalf. And all humanity messed and messed up by sin. Look at chapter 3 of Roman, or excuse me, of Genesis, and then jump down now as we see the effects of this sin in a very practical way in verse 17. Chapter 3, Genesis, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. There is a great pain upon the earth today, which Paul picks up now in Romans chapter 8. There is a great pain in verse 19. The earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility, verse 20, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption, which we just read in chapter 3 of Genesis, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. There is an eagerness in creation, a desire, a waiting for God's revelation, an anxious longing. We want to see the deliverance that's promised. You could say that the creation, from the original language, you could translate as the creation is on tiptoes waiting for God to deliver it. That if creation could talk, if the earth had a voice, it would cry out wanting to be delivered from the bondage in which it's been subjected by the sin of humanity. Creation today is not what God intended in the garden. It's not what it is to be. 
It's not what it was. This world is waiting to be redeemed. A renewed creation is something that would absolutely strike a chord in the minds of those that were hearing this at the time. In Isaiah, you can jot it down, chapter 65, verse 17, it says, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's repeated again for us in the New Testament. Jot it down as a cross-reference. You can look it up later. Revelation chapter 21. A new heavens, a new earth. The words that are used to describe the creation today is bondage of corruption. The earth is not what it should be, what it could be. There's three things, for those of you that are taking notes, three things that happen because of the fall that we learn here in Romans chapter 8, and it's important for us to grasp this. Number one is found in verse 20. Creation was subjected to emptiness. Again, look at verse 20 with me. For the creation was subjected to futility. You can circle that word futility. It just means emptiness. Creation was subjected to emptiness, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. When the curse came upon Adam and the earth, God was subjecting creation in hope to futility. Before the fall, there were no weeds or thistles or poisonous plants. Now, those of you that like to garden, have you ever had this thought? Because I've had this thought. I was talking to my neighbor not too long ago as they were working their garden, and it seems like they're always working their garden. We don't have a garden. We just have potted plants that someone planted for us, and then we replace them when they die. That's our gardening in our house. But there are neighbors around us that really love to do that, and they do that a lot. And so they were out the other day, and I was just thinking of all the work they're doing, and said, look at all these weeds. And I go, yeah, you got I mean, don't you ever think about why didn't God make the flowers like the weeds and the weeds like the flowers? I know it's a weird thought, but think about it. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if your whole garden was just popping up with all these beautiful, beautiful flowers and you don't have to do anything? Do you do anything for your weeds? I mean, I've never read a book or seen a book at the library that says, talk to your weeds. People talk to their plants, though, don't they? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to fertilize for your weeds. You don't have to water for your weeds. All you need to do is neglect your garden for a few days and weeds will pop up all over the place. Before the fall, there were no weeds. There were no thorns. Flowers before the fall, the roses, the precious, they had no thorns. There was no sweat of the brow in working the land. You know, the more you study nature, the more you understand that it's subjected to emptiness. The more you study nature and God's creation, the more you come to realize the beauty of creation. It's beautiful. And yet, the more you study, the more you see also the cruelty and pain of creation, of this world. It doesn't take long to go from beautiful flowers to horrible hurricanes. It doesn't take long as you are looking at the snow and the rain. Well, go through a blizzard, you know? You're not like, well, I don't like, I like snow, but I don't like blizzards. I like rain, but I don't like floods. I like heat, but I don't like scorching heat. Number two, in verse 22, creation began to groan in pain. Groaning. Look at verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. You can jot it down in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Jesus uses a very similar illustration to reflect of what the life will look like in the end times. And he uses this picture of laboring. Now, those of you ladies that have had children, you totally understand this. There, there is no need for me to have never gone through that experience to explain it to you. You already know. I mean, I can graphically explain it, and there'll still be ladies, no, it's worse than that, man. We've been blessed in our fellowship to see many, many women give birth. 
to watch the process. When a woman's going to give birth, you know there's certain signs. Have you noticed? One of those signs is, well, the lady that is with child gets bigger in one place, but gets bigger in one place. She begins to grow. The baby then begins to grow. Then the baby starts to move and to kick until about the ninth month or so, there begins to be these awkward pains, labor pains, pre-labor pains. And then the pains, they become more intense and more frequent. And as you call the doctor and say, hey, I'm going through this, I'm going through that, the doctor's going to ask you, well, how bad is the pain and how often is it happening? And the closer the pains get and the more intense they get, well, then you know it's time. It's time. We've got to go. The baby is on the way. Well, Jesus, in Matthew 24, says, in the end times, what you're going to see more frequently and what you're going to see with more intensity is a group of false teachers all over the place spouting false teachings. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars in those last days, earthquakes and persecution and pestilences, chaos throughout the world. And we see as the world is coming to an end that our earth is groaning, a deep groaning. The third thing we see that happened to the earth, not only was it subjected to futility, not only did creation begin to groan, but thirdly, creation became a slave to corruption. Look at verse 22. It says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And as you jump back to verse 21, creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into this glorious liberty of the children of God, groaning and laboring, a slave to corruption. Now, if you talk to scientists today, they will tell you of a law. It's the second law of thermodynamics. It has a very, very long definition if you look it up one that I'm not able to, to accurately communicate to you today, so I'll just summarize the second law of thermodynamics. Everything is running down and wearing out. That's what it means. And the earth is under that law. Scientists say there's really no way to reverse it. But you know, all they're saying is really what the Bible says already. Any true science will reveal well, what the Bible already teaches to be true. Scientific or so-called scientific discoveries that contradict the scriptures are to be rejected. God himself has revealed to us. You see, we live in a society that is run by what we would call secular humanists. Now, the word secular reflects that this, there is an absolute disregard for God. And the idea of humanist means that human beings, in their minds, are the highest being. They would be gods in their eyes, little g. Secular humanism says, you know, we see the effects of the earth today. And what we need to do is we need to stop it. We need to try to come against this curse. We, we need to help the earth get out from under the second law of thermodynamics. And so what happens is, is they, they desire to legislate it away. We'll have green policy. That's what we'll do. We'll rescue the earth through legislation. We'll rescue the earth through recycling. We'll rescue the earth in a variety of different ways. Let me pause here and just say one thing. Christians are to be good stewards of this earth. We're not to worship this earth, but we're to be good stewards. Nowhere in the Bible does God give us permission to trash his earth. We're to take good care of it. But at the same time, we need to understand that what we have been raised with, what is prevalent in the newspapers today, in our universities today, in our high schools today, all the way down to kindergarten. They're teaching kindergartners about global warming. Did you know that? I mean, I understood global warming in a kindergarten class. I understood that when the sun came out and it was hot, things got hotter. Did you know that? But now it's become, well, it's become a rallying point. Listen, the Bible already says... The Bible says that creation has been subjected. It's become a slave of corruption. 
that there's coming a day when this world will no longer be. Secular humanism putting man on the throne, well, they're going to try to lift the curse through legislation and laws. You know, listen, as the world gets older, things begin to thin out. Did you know that? Ozone layers, tops of humans' heads, things thin out. It's the way it is. Things wear down. And we have a society that says, listen, things are going crazy. We need to save the spotted owl. I mean, pull out all the stops. We've got to save that owl. We've got to make sure that the jumping kangaroo rats have a place to live. I remember a process when we were looking for property here in Aurora. There was a big thing about those little rat dogs. What do they call them? Prairie dogs. (laughs) That if we found a piece of property that was infested with those things... We couldn't just like have a hunting day, you know? We couldn't have one of those days. We we couldn't just try to catch them with our hands. We would have to hire a professional with this big truck. It's a big vacuum cleaner thing, and they'd suck them up, 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 and I don't even know where they'd put them. What are they, like, is there like a big prairie dog colony somewhere? Oh, it's another delivery, you know, the population. I don't understand, but I remember that if we had to do that, it would have been thousands and thousands of dollars and delay after delay. So part of our prayer was, Lord, find us some property without those rat dogs on there. Or prairie dogs, sorry. (laughs) The curse will not be lifted by legislation, but by the return of Jesus Christ. And you and I need to reject this secular humanism that says man is all there is, and this world is all there is. Does that give us permission to destroy God's earth and trash it? No way. But it is a warning to us to look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only do we groan, not only does creation groan, but notice verse 23, we groan too. We groan, it says, not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that's not seen, hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Do you groan? I mean, really, do you groan? Because you think the earth is wearing down. Have you noticed your body lately? I mean, I walk down our stairs in our house, and it sounds like I'm walking on sticks. And it's my knees. <laughs> my knees are messed up. I remember as a young man, I would be told, you know, my parents would tell me, hey, you know, your body's not going to always be that good. It's going to wear down. You're going to have aches and pains like me. And I used to think, no way. Just like some of you young people right now, you're thinking, no way. My body's never going to wear out. Listen, it is going to wear out. You are going to groan. Your back is going to ache. Your knees are going to talk. Your ankles are going to hurt. Your headaches will continue. Our bodies are wearing out. They aren't what they once were. You could say that our bodies are wearing out and wearing thin. They aren't what they used to be. Hey, hold your places. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because the Bible does describe and give a picture of our bodies. It's a great picture. Our bodies are called tents. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. They're likened to tents. Verse 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. It's a tent. That's what our body's like into a tent. It reminds me of camping. Camping. A lot of people are into camping. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but a lot of you are into camping. My idea of camping is renting an RV with air conditioning and a satellite dish and going to hang out. That's it. 
I don't get the whole camping thing. But when we moved to Colorado, we thought, hey, it's an outdoor stay. We should try this outdoor thing. Let's go buy a tent. And so we did. We bought a tent, a big tent. Got a couple rooms in it. I mean, it, we got the big tent, man. I don't want my kids over here. I want, I, you know, the dog over here. And Marie and I get the front room or whatever. You know, we, we've used it twice, maybe, you know, tents. It was cool. I mean, if you like sleeping on rocks and, uh, you know, putting the kids in another room in a tent, it, like... Have you seen the walls? It's like the size of, you know, paper. You can hear everything. The kids are screaming and crying. It's a little tent. Now think about it. As good of a tent you might have, those of you who are going camping, you're going to go camping or camp out in a couple weeks, and, and you're all excited about it. You're going to take the tent. And it's great for a week, but would you want to live in a tent? No way. Our attitudes aren't like, hey, you know, we're moving to Colorado, honey. Let's find a good tent, man. <laughs> you know, let's find a tent to live in. We can put our little address on there. You know, why don't we just sell the house? Honey, Pastor, I was talking about tents. We can go get a good tent over at Sports Authority. We can live in a tent the rest of our life, and then we can move whenever we wanted to move. And she's like, I'm not moving out of the house. You're going to sleep in a tent in the backyard. How about that? Tents. We don't want to live in tents. Tents aren't comfortable. Tents aren't made for, meant for a lasting place to live. Our bodies are like those tents. They get uncomfortable at times. They're beset to weaknesses and sicknesses. And when we think of our bodies, we praise the Lord that well, our bodies will be replaced with a new body in Jesus Christ. Pastor Ed Taylor is developing his study of Romans right now on abounding grace. Thanks for being part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at aboundinggraceradio.com. Or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. Pastor Ed, we have a podcast that our listeners can access called Lead to Serve. And with season two now underway, can you give us an idea of some of the content and how it might benefit our listeners' lives? If you love Abounding Grace Radio, you are really going to love and appreciate our new podcast. It's specifically a leadership podcast. We titled Lead to Serve, like you said, Larry. And the, the focus of the podcast is to help you grow in your servanthood, which is automatically going to help you be a better leader. I think in our world today, we've, we've got so much information on leadership, so many insights on leadership that we may have, or many people may have skipped a step, and that step is learning to be a good servant. And the podcast is very practical. And what I want to do is, it's like you're, ta- you're like you're sitting across a desk from me and I'm answering a question that you have or talking about ministry or service or how do you handle this situation just right here together. And so as you pull up the podcast, it's like you're sitting across the table from me. For example, one episode I recently recorded was how do you find and raise up new leaders how do you, you know, in a, in the church world, we're often talking about Paul having a Timothy. And, and so how do you find a Timothy? How do you raise them up? How do you train them? How do you disciple them? What is that relationship? How does it start? That's one of the episodes. And so we're in our season number two, uh, finished season one. We had great feedback is why we started season two. And go anywhere that you get your podcasts, of course, on all the popular platforms, and just put in lead to the number two, serve, all one word, lead to serve, and it'll pop up and subscribe if you are blessed by it. 
then leave a review, a positive review, because that helps the algorithms. And I'd love to join you and hear your feedback or even ideas you might have for questions you want answered. Again, that's lead to serve. That's the number two. Look for it today. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Pastor Chuck Smith called The Man God Uses. If you're a Christian, I'm sure you'd say you want to be used by God. But sometimes we're not quite sure how to get there. In this book, Pastor Chuck Smith examines 14 characteristics found in several people in the Bible that were used by God in powerful ways. I know you'll be encouraged and will gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. And we want this radio ministry to be the sort of ministry that God uses, too. That's our prayer and heart's desire. And if you'd like to get behind what we're doing and offer a one-time gift or ongoing support, we'd sure appreciate it. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we go and grow through a study in Romans with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 